I am so grateful to be here, so excited to be here and to be able to share with you. Um, this church is incredible to me. And uh, you, you, don't, you, you cannot really understand or know it, um, but you are the key church of what we're doing in Indonesia. And what you do every month is so impactful. And you're, in fact, you're going to get a chance to see today people that you have actually impacted their lives and seen transformation. It'll last forever. And I, I, I'm here today to really to say thank you for what you've been doing these last years. I haven't been here for, I think it's five, a little more than five years. And I'm just so grateful to be able to be able to stand here and to be able to share with you what God has been doing. And I, it's been a great, I've been to, at Greg and Christie's the last six weeks or so, and I've uh, been traveling around the East Coast here. And I'm, I've just been, it's been fun. I've been here at this church a few times, this church building, and I haven't seen most of you because it's been when the church is closed. But it's been fun. And I'm expecting that today God wants to say something. I believe that. I want to encourage you to pick up a, a prayer card out on the table out front here. You can meet my, I have two kids that I've adopted, two boys, Don and Donnie, and the 40 kids that live with me. We have about 300 kids that call me dad or daddy. I've, um, I've kind of, in the beginning I didn't like it, and the last uh, few years I've kind of given it up. It's the 80 and 90-year-olds on the street that call me, hey, Daddy, how's it going today? That really do trouble me. <laughs> I'm going, that's really, that's not, I'm nearly not that old. <clears throat> I want to share with you a story, and then I want to share with you from my heart. This is from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It's a story that you all know. You don't have to look it up unless you want to. I'm just going to read a few verses on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus began to tell the story of a man going on a trip, being attacked by robbers, and left on the side of the road for dead. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticed that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be in this place, in your presence this morning. We are so amazed that you have lavished your love on us that we could be called children of God. It's amazing. This morning we ask you to challenge our hearts, to challenge our paradigms, to inspire our thinking, to broaden our perspectives, our understanding, to implore us, O oh God, to walk in your ways and to walk out your truth. I ask that you'll do something in this place, in these next moments, O oh God, that I cannot do but that only you can do by the power of your spirit. Speak to the depths of our being, we ask, in Jesus' name, for your glory, Lord. Amen. So how do I get to heaven? How do I get eternal life? How do I follow the most important commandment, according to Jesus? Well, Jesus makes it very simple. He says it's just one thing. He said if you just will love God unconditionally, Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything inside of you. And that if you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Keep your focus. Focus upward. It's loving God with everything inside of you. Not holding back anything. Heart, mind, soul, strength. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. And just like the man in the story, we often will ask him, but what does that mean? How do, I, how do I do that towards God with everything, everything? And how do I love my neighbor as much as I love myself? 
And who is my neighbor? The same question. Is it my physical neighbor, the person that lives next to me? Are they the people that are in my neighborhood? Are there people that I like or that are like me, like my family? There are people that I don't like, or maybe people I don't even know yet. Maybe people that are far away. Who really is my neighbor? Well, in this story that Jesus tells, it's a Samaritan. It's a person from a different culture, a different language, a different religion. They're totally a different race. She says, this person helped someone that was in need. He was the neighbor. He did for someone what he'd want them to do for him if he, were, they were, he was in the same situation. I mean, if I had been beaten and left on the road, side of the road for dead, I'd want somebody to come and help me. That's what a neighbor does. It's basically the concept of missions. If I were without the truth, if I were in a burning building and I didn't even know it was burning, I'd want someone to come and to say to me, Doug, get out of this building. Do you realize you're going to die? That's what a neighbor does. If you don't get out of here, you have no chance. That's what a neighbor does. Loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You see, we're like the GPS system for our friends, our families, our neighbors to show the way. You know, you have a GPS? Do you know how handy that is in this area? <laughs> Do you know how I've been lost without that? But if you have that little tool in your hand or in your car, all of a sudden it directs, it leads you to the right path. You get the right place. You're not lost anymore. And that's who we are. We are the GPS system. GPS. Goers. Prayers. Senders. Some of us are goers. That's what I do. I've gone to Indonesia. Some of you guys are going to come to Indonesia next year. Come on. (laughs) And what's what we need? We need people that go. And, And actually you go all the time to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, at work, in school. You're going. You're bringing. Your presence brings life and truth and knowledge to people that don't know it. They don't understand it. They haven't grasped it yet. So it's our prayers. We intercede. We break through the darkness. It's piercing the darkness with supernatural power. That's what's happening in this place. And then we're senders. If you don't go physically, then you're a sender. We're directing people towards truth. We're directing, we're helping people to go and to experience. Jesus, he, he, he said, basically, he said, I don't want anyone to be lost. The Father's heart was that no one would be, be, be lost, but every person would be saved. But the question that Paul asks is this. How in the world can these people know? How can they call and they, they've not believed? How can you believe you've not heard? How can you hear unless somebody tells you? How can someone tell you unless they've been sent? And so we're all in this process of being truth, praying, piercing into the darkness with light, and then sending. We treat our neighbors as ourselves. We treat them the way that Jesus would if he were actually walking here in the flesh. We are Jesus with flesh on. And that's why I'm grateful. That's why I'm here this morning to say thank you for you enabling us to do this exact same thing in Indonesia. To be Jesus in front of people's eyes. To show this is the truth. This is the love. This is the heart. This is how God cares for you. And I'm here to say thank you. To help us to impact a nation. The fourth largest country in the world. 270 million people that live on 17,000 islands. You cannot comprehend it. I'll just tell you. I went 20-some years ago to Indonesia. And when I found out how large and how vast it was, I said, I'm going to go visit every single island. I've been there 20-some years. I've been to 37 islands. I still have 16,960-some to go. Yeah, I'm not going to make it. You already got that. But I want you to go with me today to one island. I want to introduce you to the island of Sumba. And I want you to experience what does it mean to be a strategic partner, to be a person, a church that actually impacts a place and changes an island in a lifetime. I want you to come to the island of Sumba. I want you to meet your neighbors. Let's do the video. Sumba is a primitive island. Not a lot of opportunities, not a lot of chances. That's why about 15 years ago, can you show that on the back for me? We, we started what we call the Sumba House of Hope. 
It's a place that gives an opportunity to young people that would never get a chance. I, my first memory of Sumba was watching kids come home from school. I'll never forget it. I asked the driver, what's going on? The pavement's hot. Why are the kids carrying their shoes in their hands? I mean, are they too small? He said, oh, no, they're too valuable. I'll never forget that feeling of injustice. And the next week when I went back to my house, I opened up my closet, and I saw all of my shoes on the floor. And just feeling that life's not fair. Well, we take in young people, young people that have potential. They may be very smart. They may have special abilities like music or sports or some kind of leadership potential. Why? Because we are attempting to shape and to develop the future leaders of this island of Sumba, leaders that will make choices, that will affect the course of history of these people. We are attempting to transform an island in a generation. You say, well, is that easy? No. <laughs> Hundreds of years steeped in old ways of thinking, rituals, animistic religion, the fear of spirits, spells, true poverty, poor education. There's no hope. This island really has no hope. The, the young boys, will, they're just destined to follow in their father's footsteps, become a very simple farmer. Waiting for the yearly rain, planting seeds one at a time. The girls, that education, will become virtual slaves as they're purchased through the ancient marriage systems. They're basically living like their ancestors did hundreds of years ago without electricity, no running water. And they strive every day just to survive. And so every day I'm thinking. In fact, this is a question I ask myself every day. And so why in the world did I get the greatest chance, the opportunity to be born in America with all of these opportunities? What, what is that about? And so I'm always thinking, you know, I could have been born in Sumba. When I look at these young boys and these young girls, I'm thinking, this could be me. And so when I hear Jesus say, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Do to other people as you would have them do to you. I ask, what does that mean? What, if I was a kid in Sumba, what would I want someone to do for me? As we bring in young kids from the villages, and give them, bring them to a place that is modern and equipped. It's a complex with lots of opportunities. And the transformation process begins. First of all, it's internally. It's spiritual. For the first time, they meet God. They have experience with Jesus Christ, and they develop relationship with God for the first time in their lives. Then they begin to experience real education six days a week, not just once or twice like in the village every week. And they begin to eat healthy food three times a day, not just the leftovers, maybe once a day. They learn how to wash their hands, how to brush their teeth, what it means to have more than one pair of clothes. They experience what it means to use a computer, how to speak English, how to understand finance and business. They play sports, practice music. They gain skills and resources that have revolutionary changes in life. But it is the internal stuff that is so amazing to watch. You can actually see it in their eyes. It's for the first time in their life. They can look you in the eyes. And they can actually speak from their heart and tell you, this is why I was born. God chose me for this reason. You see, we are shaping the future leaders of Sumba. Because within the next 30 to 50 years, we'll have developed over 2,000 young people who will become the next political leaders the next business leaders, the next educators, the next leaders of sports and music and entertainment systems. We'll have watched them change and transform their family systems where women will be valued and girls will have meaning. You see, we are bringing true transformation, transformation in a generation. The question that people ask me but is that, Doug, can you really change a whole people? I mean, is it really possible? Could you really change a whole island in a generation? Could you really shape significant leaders, deliberately influence the social factors, invest 30 to 50 years of your life and see what the disciples did as they turned their world upside down? Is that really possible? We're talking about the island of Sumba, poor island. Not a lot of hope, not a lot of, of opportunities. It's about the size of the five major counties that make up the greater Philadelphia area, a million people. What would it take to bring true transformation spiritually? to a place that is steeped in animism, that is influenced by Islam, that doesn't have a chance to make its own choices, could possibly the spiritual change bring the change in values and education, economy, and lifestyle? Could you really see transformation so that within a lifetime, within a generation, the actual governor could come from the, from the house of hope? Could we see the business leaders that influence how the island operates come from the house of hope? 
Could our educators, our leaders of all these different areas, could they actually be young people that have been raised up with godly values? Well, we're trying. We're working in villages. We're working in, in situations. We're trying to influence the factors, the social factors of this island. Island is very dry. Two months of the year, rain. Ten months of drought. We do water outreach. We build all kinds of, we dig wells, build pumps, reservoirs, tanks. We even have a House of Hope water truck. Because what, what happens, it's challenging for people to be able to drink, to be able to cook, to be able to wash, to be able to bathe. You can watch when the water truck shows up next to the church. People will be running there with their water jet. They want, they want to live. They want to survive. They want to have an opportunity with life. And this is Jesus with flesh on. This is how Jesus cares about you. He cares for you. He wants to have the best for your life. In places that don't have a lot of assistance, we do medical outreach. We don't just bring medicine, although we do do that. We also pray with every single person and say, Jesus is here. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring wholeness and transformation in your life. And all of a sudden, a person who's never been cared for, all of a sudden recognizes there's something beyond me. A place that's gorgeous. These islands, this island, because the, the beaches have, they're basically untainted. It's becoming a tourist destination. That means you have to speak English. In fact, the governor has actually declared Wednesday is the day of English. You must speak English on Wednesday, but I'll, I'll tell you, English is basically the silent day. No one can speak English yet, <laughs> but our kids do. They're not only learning English to speak, but also to teach and to coach. We have over 100 kids that come to our place every week to learn how to speak English. We're watching people experience God. I don't know if you recognize how gifted or how wonderful you have it here. You're spoiled with the worship. This church is incredible. That's what I want people to experience in Sumba. You see, we have a local religion that mixes with everything else. It's called Marapu. There is a distant God. You can have no relationship with him, but he must be appeased with blood sacrifice. So every major event in your life, you must kill animals. At your wedding, at your funeral. When you name your child, blood, 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 blood must be shed. We want people to know that Jesus already died. It's already happened. And in the presence of Christ, there's everything that can happen. In his presence, you can be transformed. Healing can happen. Wholeness can happen. His life, his changes, it happens to all of us. Well, true transformation requires several elements. It doesn't matter if it's about you, your, your personal life, your family, your neighborhood, your church. It's basically this. Someone has to model the values. Jesus says the student will become like his teacher. It means we have to be we want other people to be. It's who you are that's transferred to others. Transformation is more caught than it is taught. And so it's how we live. We walk in front of people. They follow what they see and experience. Secondly, there has to be a desire to influence other people. If you have values, but you don't share them, then there's no transformation. We're called to impact the world, to transform a whole society, an entire community, in fact, an entire island. This, this is a, the world for these people. And so the focus is on bringing change, transformational change. Empowering other people to change. And we're on a mission to bring change to the families, to the villages. Every kid knows he's on a mission. Thirdly, we're on, we have to have new strategies, new methods, new ways of doing this. Because the old systems have not worked. Because what we're talking about is changing values and skills and character has to be transformed. This is about transferring something that's inside of you. It's life transfer. And life transfer takes a lot of time. It's not just a meeting. It's not a teaching. It's not another service. It's walking like Jesus did with his disciples, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's something that's happening where you're walking with people in their issues, in the great times, in the, in the tough times, and they can experience God. It's life transformation. It takes time. And then finally, there have to be resources, tools, and buildings, finances, staff, and prayer. And you can't build a good soccer team unless you have a soccer ball. You have to have a place to play soccer, a field. You have to have some tools, some soccer tools. If you don't have these things, if you don't have the resources, it becomes, becomes basically just theory. But if you have these resources, you can take an average team and move them into becoming a good team. A good team can become an excellent team. An excellent team can become a championship team. And that's what we've done. And I want to say thank you to the Power Place because you have single-handedly resourced our soccer ministry in Indonesia. It's incredible. You're going to see it in a minute. That's what you've done. In prayer. The most significant tool of all. It's more than a tool. It's a lifestyle. In fact, my kids will tell you everything that, that 
of their success comes because they learned how to get up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray. Learn how to hear God speak to them through the word. Learn how to hear God's voice to them in prayer. And I want to say thank you to those of you that have prayed for me during this last year. Cancer, surgeries, intestinal issues, surgeries. I know that I'm alive only because people prayed. And I know this church. I know you guys have prayed for me. I will never forget waking up out of a coma and Donnie, my youngest boy, was standing next to me and he looked a little worried. And I couldn't talk. I had tubes in my mouth and I was tied to the, my hands were tied to the side of the bed. I asked for something to write with. And I motioned, when I motioned, he brought a pad of paper and they were all ready. I wrote and I said, is it serious? He said, yeah, it's serious. But his response was so amazing to me. He said, but you cannot die. You cannot die because there are too many people praying for you. You cannot die. And every morning, every afternoon, every night, he prayed. He read the scriptures. He spoke faith, truth into my life. I want to say thank you for praying. Thank you for upholding people like me, missionaries in prayer. Well, I want to tell you about my oldest son. His name is Don. I met him at a finance training that I did in his village. Don was extremely intelligent, the smartest person I've ever met in Sumba, and yet he was out working in a field, pushing a hand tractor in a rice field. I asked him, why? Why aren't you studying? He said, oh, I wanted to go to school so bad, but my parents couldn't afford it. I found out after talking to him that it was this giant fee of $7.50 that his parents could not pay. He had to drop out of school to work. He came to live with us. To make a long story short, in our place every morning we pray, we read the scriptures, and we sit around the table and we reflect on what God is saying, and everybody has to share. Well, Don would just sit there, quiet, shy, intimidated, no self-confidence. After the first or second, maybe it was the third week, I, I remember him so clearly. We were in the scriptures, and all of a sudden, he just burst out crying. And so we all stopped, and he cried for the longest time. He just wept. And finally, I said, hey, Don, what's, what's going on with you? He said, I just can't believe it. I can't believe that Jesus would care for somebody like me. I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. <laughs> And God began to transform his life. His perspective, his heart, his being was changed. The first two years, he read through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And his perspectives began to be shaped. His paradigms began to shape by the scripture from the values of the word. We're sitting in this one school one day in the first grade class. was meeting one of our churches. And Don leaned over to me and said, can we go to the market? I want to buy some pencils and papers and maybe some sandals for these kids. On the way to the market, he said, you know, when I was in elementary school, I never, I went to school barefoot every day. Never had a pencil. Never had a paper. He said, I want to give these guys a chance I never had. We came back. He was so proud to hand out backpacks to every one of these first graders, filled to the brim with pencils and papers. And they had and all kinds of little booklets that they could write in. And he gave every kid a pair of sandals. He said, they're going to make it. They're going to be successful. Don today is the leader of our ministry at the House of Hope. This is one of the things that we do every year. We service, we, rec- we actually give these kinds of things to all the kids that we are able to in the, in the house in the, in the island of Sumba. And I want to say thank you for your helping us in that. Don loved to play soccer. Every afternoon, 4 o'clock, it was like ritual. They were out playing on the soccer field. Then it was 3 o'clock, then it was 2 o'clock, and then it, as soon as kids got out of school, they'd run to the House of Hope. We've got to play soccer. And finally, Don said, look, you guys, we got to make some rules here. You have to go home and do your chores. Then you come to the House of Hope. Well, then the parents started saying, coming to us and saying, what have you done to my kid? I mean, he's asking. He wants to help to, to, to cook. He wants to clean the house. He wants to actually mow the lawn. What are you doing to my kids? Then they stopped cussing, fighting, smoking. These would all get a yellow card, which means you couldn't play soccer for a whole week. Well, they couldn't have that. They started to change. Don began to tell them the stories of Jesus, how his own life had been transformed. I love to watch them play at the field. I love to listen to them sing their soccer song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. This is my song. And it's always amazing to me. We have, when our team plays, 
People are all over the place, all over the island. They will come. There are hundreds, even sometimes thousands that will come. They have to see this team play. And they'll be going, go assemblies of God, go assemblies of God. Go. And I'm watching the Christians and watching the Muslims, go assemblies of God, go assemblies of God. I'm thinking, how incredible. This little bitty ball. Just a couple, three months ago, I got a little video call from Iqbal, a young Muslim kid. Lives in the center of Wangapoo. He says, Dad, I just want to tell you, I got on Don's team. I've made it to the big leagues. Now, I can just tell you, he's on one of the junior teams. We have five teams. We have the number one team in Sumba. We have five teams. He's in one of the junior teams. But he has made, in his mind, he will move up. And I can guarantee his life will be transformed within the three, next three to six months. It's just, it'll be life-changing for him. That's what happens. Transformation in a generation. It's unheard of, but it's happening. I watch these kids change. I watch their hearts change. I watch their desires change. In our place, it's, we provide all kinds of different training. It's not your normal experiences in Sumba, computer skills, music, English, soccer, volleyball, cooking, business, finance, where the actual government officials can only type with two fingers. Our kids will come home from the government offices so excited and even shocked. We can type with ten fingers. And they're so, we're different from the government people. I watch them, they're thinking about, about poverty. Because they, they've been born, ingrained in poverty. And they're saying, we can, we're going to change this. They're thinking, how can I create my own wealth? How can I change the values that I've come out of? How can I take a little asset, and that asset can give money back to me? How can I buy a little goat for $15, $20? Raise it up, then sell it, get $40. And then not spend the money, but then buy two goats. And two goats become four goats. Four goats become eight goats. Eight goats become 16 goats. 16 become, all of our kids have more money than their parents. And they'll tell you, we are going to change our world in our lifetime. See, my family's going to change because they're going to understand. And they're starting to understand how to resource and to actually change the way that they use their finances. And they say, I'm going to change. You'll see, in fact, I just want to mention, there's a little table out here with some of the kids materials. You can buy those. It's basically what's going on in, in their perspective. They're watching models they've never seen before. Models of finance. Does Jesus just affect me spiritually? Does he affect every part of my life? Yeah. Well, that's what it is. And they're being discipled to think differently, to grow up differently. And so it's this concept of discipleship, transformation in your inner being, being mixed with this concept of leadership development where I'm actually realizing I'm called to be a leader. And so I'm being selected. I'm rising up to my potential. And now all that with this sense of mission. We are on a mission to change our world. And that's what we're going to do. We have to change our world. And we're excited to watch God, his change in all of our lives. I was so amazed to watch Don two years ago be elected to this government position over all the young people of our island. It was so interesting because, like, for seven, eight months before this election, people were out campaigning and, and, and putting up posters and handing out T-shirts and even giving money to people, and Don wasn't even running. A couple of weeks before the election, some of the leaders of the island came to our place and said, you know, Don, you, sh you should put your name in for this election. He said, no, I'm too big. We have five soccer teams. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching now the government soccer team. I have the House of Hope. We have all these kids. And he said, just put your name in. He put his name in the night before the election. He won. Wati. She's studying law at the university. Arnold's studying information technology at the university. Harrison's coaching our guys and some of our girls. Alfin, he's getting ready to say business management. Arnie's one of our school teachers in the village. Donnie's studying music in Jakarta. He wants to open a music school in, in Sumba. It's transformation. One person at a time. It's exactly what Don said to me. He said, you know what? After this happened, and he was selected, and he's moving to, to all these different circles, he said, I think God's setting me up. Because now they're saying, you need to be the representative. You need to, to be like a senator for Sumba in, in, the, in the capital city of Jakarta. And he just told me before I came back to the, to the U.S., he said, I think I want to become the governor of the island in my life. I think that's what God's preparing me for. You see what it is? Someone has an opportunity, a chance, and then all of a sudden they're being challenged and inspired to rise to the level of potential. And then all of a sudden they're saying, I can do what God's called me to do. They're resourced, and then they're released to do God's call. That's exactly what our mission is. That's what happened in Mercy. 
from a little village, girl with lots of energy and lots of trouble. We have rules at our place. If you don't follow the rules, we send you home. So she broke a lot of rules and called her parents. And they came and sat down right in front of me. I'll never forget her dad, an old man just weeping and weeping. Please don't send her home. Please give her another chance. She's my only hope. She's our Phyllis's only hope. Give her a chance. Give her a chance. Someone had just, like an hour before, had said to me, Hey, Doug, haven't you made any mistakes before? I'm going, Oh, man, don't ask that kind of question. <laughs> I watched Mercy in that little meeting, and we decided to give her a chance, an opportunity. Well, she got very industrious. She began to study seriously. And then she did everything with excellence. And then she's the one that got this brainstorm to start teaching our neighbor kids about English. It was because of her that we now teach 100 kids English in our communities with games and activities and English lessons. She's today studying the University of Kupangs in English. She wants to become an English teacher and open an English school in the island of Sumba. And I often think, what would have happened if I would have sent her home? Yeah, I know what would have happened. I know what would have happened if she wouldn't have come to the House of Hope in the first place? Same story could be told of all kinds of young girls in our community. Marlon, another little girl from Lindeha. She came and studied for three years very strong, and then the third, third, the half, the third year, the, under the fourth year, she came and she, to me and she said, Dad, I just can't do it anymore. It's too hard. You study every day, every day. I just don't have the energy. I just can't do it. I think I just need to go home. I said, no problem. We have, we have over 100 kids always on the waiting list. Hundreds of kids want to come live at our place. So we called her parents, and I'll never forget her dad speaking to her so harshly. Very bad language. And basically he said, you're stupid. You're a girl. You have opportunities, and you want to throw them away. But no problem. He said, you're going home with me today. You're getting married next week. A man's already brought two horses. He has three cows, two buffalo. And as soon as she heard she was getting married to somebody she doesn't know, the following week, she just burst out in tears. It's like she forgot she's from Sumba. A girl with no education basically has no hope, no opportunities, no choices, no voice. I looked at Don, and he looked at me, and I said, Marlon, do, do you want to go home, or do you want to try to study? Oh, please, can I study? <laughs> please, can I study? She finished high school two years ago. And last month, she finished culinary school. She just moved to Bali last week. She's doing her practice at a restaurant there, and she wants to move back to Sumba and open a restaurant. It's transformation. It's opportunity. Amen. Onus is one of our young men, great soccer player, but no voice. So quiet. So shy. So intimidated. Just like every other kid in Sumba. No self-confidence. Told his whole life, you're not important. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything. So we always have to work in the first weeks and first months to help a kid to be able to express themselves. But he wouldn't talk. So after a few weeks, I finally sat down with him. I said, Dilka, you, you have to talk to me. You have to say something. He just sat there quietly, and after a while, I, I, I put the pressure on. And he finally just said, you know, I don't have anything to say. But when he said that, all of a sudden, I saw his two front teeth. They were broken off. I said, what happened to you? Then he opened his mouth and started talking, and all of a sudden I saw all of his teeth inside were also destroyed. They're ruined. He said, you know, my, my mom died when I was just a little bitty kid, and my dad didn't know what to do with this. So he just gave me a sugar every morning, sugar from his coffee. And he compared to my mouth. He said, I learned to always have sugar in my mouth. Every morning, afternoon, every night I went to bed with sugar. I didn't know it was ruining my teeth. I took Onus to a dentist and pulled some of his teeth, did some root canals, and, well, this picture here in the blue was the first picture he took, and he was smiling, and I said, well, aunt, that's not really how you smile. He said, I never smiled before. <laughs> this guy's personality transformed overnight. Overnight, in one day. The next day, he began to speak, and he speaks very loudly now. <laughs> something inside of him has risen up, and he said, I'm supposed to be a leader. I'm going to do something with my life. And just a couple weeks before I left to come back to the U.S., he said, I want to tell you something, Dad. He said, this is, he said, nobody ever cared for me before. He said, my own family never even showed an interest in who I was. It wasn't until I came into the House of Hope that I understood what the word family meant and what it was all about. And now I know what to do later when I get married and have my own kids. 
that's transformation. Well, these are some of the things that we're working on. This is the future of where we're headed. Trying to build some buildings. Trying to resource my pastors. Trying to see how can we take in more kids at the House of Hope. We have 40 now. We'd like to have 100. I'm thinking through what does it mean? Somebody said to me, you know, I'm trying to find out what does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to love your neighbor as much as you love your I'm looking at these kids that have no opportunity, no chance, no opportunity. What is love? Somebody said to me, I think you're crazy. You're trying to raise $2 million in six months. I said, I'm not trying to raise $2 million. God just put in my heart a vision for resources that happened to be a lot of money. But I'm a person that believes that my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so I'm not afraid. I'm the guy guy that believes that he can do anything. And that if he can do anything, I'm going to stand on that and believe he can do anything for me, for the kids that that I serve, the people that God has called me to. I mean, I watched my dad, my grandpa, pray for people. That, my grandpa prayed for people that were dead, that came back to life. He prayed for animals that were broken legs. They got up and ran off again. He prayed for people that were sick, that couldn't walk. They were in wheelchairs and canes and crutches, and they all moved again. And God did miracles. And I'm saying, if God can do that, why can't he do a little $2,000, $2 million, $3 million? Why can't God do that? There's a little page with resources out, out, out front. You can look and see what some of these things are. I, I watched God do stuff that's beyond me. I'm actually in Indonesia because one lady, one woman in my dad's church gave a little ring in an offering. It wasn't even worth anything, less than $200. But that little ring was auctioned off over and over. It raised over $100,000, $300,000. That's why I'm in Indonesia. Because somebody listened to God. I'm, I'm, I'm at our place. We had nothing. I don't do this kind of thing. I don't have a house of hope. That wasn't my perspective. I trained pastors and church planners. That was what I do. But somebody I didn't know called me and said, I'm supposed to come and do something at your place. There's a guy right here in Pennsylvania. He said, I'm supposed to build a building at your place. And they built our first building. Another church sent $60,000, people I don't even know, and built our next building. We have nine buildings now. Every one of them has a story. They're all miracles. None of them is pre-planned. None of them was an intention from my heart. God has a heart. He cares for people. I was just home five years ago, and my babysitter, when I was growing up, my babysitter said to me, Doug, I'm getting old. I'm going to die. I said, oh, Laverne, you're still strong. She said, no, I'm I'm getting old. She said, when I die, I just want you to know. I'm putting some money aside for you. I want you to do something in Sumba. Three years ago, she passed away. I sent $30,000. We built a complex for teachers. And when you guys come next year, most of you are going to stay in those those rooms. Nice, air-conditioned, sit-down toilet. Not a a squatty potty, a real toilet. A real shower. (laughs) I called my brother and I said, Greg, what do you think? He said, Doug, if if your dreams are not bigger than your budget, they're not God's dreams. They're your dreams. You can accomplish them by your... You don't need God. But if there's something that's beyond you, you can be assured that God himself, it's, if it's his idea, he will show the way. He'll make the path happen. So I'm saying, okay. I didn't plan to go to Sumba. I never even heard of this place. I never even heard of Indonesia. I'm a person. I'm an American. I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant about the geography. I didn't even know where these places were at. But what I recognize is that God cares for these people. When I think about Don's story, a guy sitting, sitting out in the, in, the, in the rice fields, pushing a hand tractor and looking up at these planes and saying, I want to ride in one of those one day. I want to get in one of those things. And his life has been totally transformed. His story could be repeated a thousand, thousands and thousands of times. And I want to give every, every kid in Sumba an opportunity like that. I want to give an opportunity to kids to really experience God. I mean, I'm happy for what we're doing. I have to be honest. We see kids that are changing all the time, right and left. But I still, there's a daunting reality in my spirit as I see people every day. And there are thousands and tens of thousands of kids that we cannot help yet. I'm saying, why? It's just, it's just small resources. But why? Why do I have to turn away these 100 kids every year? 200 kids, 300 kids. Why do I have to turn them away? Why can't we give them a chance? There are other systems in our island there's a Pesantran, a Muslim school. They have 1,000 students. They're taking in people that are Christians. 
taking people in that are from the, the Marapu faith. They're bringing them in. They're going to transform them. I'm saying, God, help us somehow give a chance to these kids. Because I know what happens to them. I know. The girls I know, Fita, one of our girls, her dad has 17 wives. She has 80 brothers and sisters. And I often think, what would have happened if, if those girls had a chance? Somebody gave them a chance. The boys, I would, I would often ask, this is when I first went to school, I would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Never had an answer. There was no dreaming. There's no perspective of you can choose your future. You can develop and shape your way. No way. I'm just going to be a, fa- a farmer. I know I'm going to father my, follow my father's footsteps. It's just normal. But today, my kids, they have dreams. They want to become something. They want to change their world. They're going to transform their society. But the stark reality is that it's challenging. It's challenging. I started challenging my pastors a few years ago. I said, you know what? Your kids, they're so malnourished because all of our kids are malnourished. They come to our place. Because the system in Sumba is basically this. The mom cooks. The dad eats. The mom eats the leftovers. Then what's ever left over, the three, five, 10, 12 kids will fight for what's left over. And, this, and the strong will survive. And the weak will not. And I asked my pastors, why aren't you taking care of your kids? And they told me their story, and I, I watched it. I don't know how much you give in the offering. It's not really my business. It's between you and God. But this is the average offering in Sumba. It's 1,000 rupiah. It's seven cents. So when a family gives seven cents, and maybe you have 10 families in your church, that's 70 cents for the week. That's $2.80 for the month. It's not enough to even to eat, let alone to do ministry. And God, as I was coming back to the U.S. this time, it's like challenging me and saying, Doug, you have to do something for your pastors because life's not fair. It's not fair. I'm driving around in my mom's car from Wichita out here. And I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I love America, man. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying driving it to a drive-thru. You can just speak the word in this little machine. And you drive to the next one, and all of a sudden, food flops out. And why? It's wonderful. You just use a little card. It's no money exchanged. Well, that's what you think in the beginning. It's great. But one of those drive-thrus, God challenged me. I looked at my bill, and I drove away from there. And it's like God said to me, Doug, you watch the poor, so the poor give their seven cents, and it costs them to give. What's it cost you to give? Or is it just inconvenient? I said, okay, God, I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I live. I'm changing my perspective. Amen. It's not fair. It's not fair. God cares about these people. Most of you do not know my, my, yeah, some of you know about my, my physical challenges. I'm asking the question, okay, God, why am I alive? Was it to meet Don? Was it to meet Donnie? These two kids? So I had to pour my life into them and they're to transform their worlds. Is it to these 40 kids that live with me and these 200 kids that we've influenced over the last years? Is it 300 kids that come to our place every week? for some kind of ministry or service or something. What, what is that about? This last week, I went to Fox Chase Cancer Center. And they gave me this diagnosis. It's not so great. If you look at all those pictures of how great my body looks back there, that was just a few months ago. Well, it still looks pretty bad. It's not straight anymore. My, my, one of my boys, he says, your body's not straight. You're like crooked. You're bent. I said, but I'm still breathing. At Fox Chase, they said, you have cancer again. It looks like you have pancreatic and liver cancer. It's not so simple. You can't just operate. The last cancers you've been able to take out each time with another surgery. 
This one, you can't do surgery. I said, well, what's that mean? He said, well, we're talking about some kind of chemotherapy or something that we had to find out. Long story short, I decided to talk to, to my family and my leaders, and I said, okay, I'm going back to, to Asia. I'm going back to Singapore to my doctor. I have a cancer doctor in Singapore that's done all the last nine surgeries. He knows my body very well. But what it's made me do this last week is to think, What's that about? Why am I alive? What is the purpose of my life? You know, Jesus said it to that guy. You want to go to heaven? You want to follow the greatest command? There's just two things. Love God unconditionally. Everything inside of you. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. I got one thing I want to hear when I get to heaven. I just want to hear God say one thing. Well done, you good and faithful servant. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me to drink. I was snake. I didn't have clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You came and you helped me. You visited me. I want to be the person that is Jesus with flesh on to the people I meet. Because they may never meet Jesus. They may never read his book. They may never comprehend who he is unless I go to those places, unless you go to those places. That's who we are. We're called to transform and to challenge our world with our lives until it's over. Amen. I don't know how much longer I have. I'm not accepting. I told Christy, I'm, you, you have the funniest tongue in the world. I got a weird body. I'm not giving up either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to live. I'm going to live and not die. Yeah, that's my decision. My doctor already said, he said, there's no reason for you to be alive. I mean, you should have died several times. 2006 was actually your death. You're supposed to have died in 2006. It didn't happen. You've been living the last 13 years. He said last year, 2018, he said, we thought twice you were dead on the operating table. He said, you come up, you're walking again. What's going on? He said, I'll be very happy when you leave today because I'll see the back of you. I'm tired of looking at the front of you. You're messed up in the front of you. I said, well, that's the truth. I know that. But you know what? We're called, all of us. It's not just about me. This is not about me. I want you to understand this. We're, what we're doing in Indonesia and Sumba is actually a joint project. This church has been so strategic. We could not do. You look at Onus's teeth. Do you know who paid for that? The power place. You guys paid for his teeth. It's the truth. You look at all those soccer things, the championships. They're out playing soccer right now. Last night, this morning, not on Sunday, but they were doing it on Friday and on Saturday. You know who provides all those resources, those soccer balls, giving uniforms that say Assembly of God, say our name of House of Hope? Who says that? Who knows? That's from the power place. All that stuff is in the power. You guys have resources. You have no clue. Even when you come to visit, you'll still be clueless because it's in villages everywhere, 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 everywhere. It's all over the place. That God is using you to be Jesus with flesh on. It's skin in the flesh. People are actually seeing Jesus. And they'll tell you. One little village in Kaduva, I'll never forget the village leader saying to me, I don't know why you're helping us. Nobody has ever helped us before. He said, there has to be a God in heaven. There has to be a God in heaven for somebody to come and want to actually help us with water. It's incredible. It's un unbelievable. And I'm watching my kids. They're thinking change. Jordan, one of, our, one of my young kids, came to me one day. He's not young anymore. He's 20-some years old. He came to me about a year ago, and he said, what am I supposed to do, Dad? He said, they're asking me to become the village leader. I said, well, Jordan, you're not that smart. You really can't do that. He said, I know, but I'm the only one that can speak English. I'm the only one that can read. I'm the only one that can use a computer in my village. He said, I'm supposed to be the village leader. And that's what's happening. It's people that have no chance, no opportunity, no background. All of a sudden, God says, you know what? You have a purpose with your life. And all of a sudden, they're rising up to say, I'm going to do something with my life. And I want to say thank you, Power Place for giving a chance for that to happen. 
for resourcing our kids, resourcing our people, resourcing our pastors. Give them a chance because someday we're going to all stand before God. All of us. He's going he's to check with us. What would you do with your life while you're down there? And it's what we all want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You did it right. You love God with all of your heart. Everything inside of you, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, I got up. I got a little message from my youngest boy. Who's Donnie? He sent me this little song. I'm not a singer. So I told somebody, I said, I can't sing like your, my brother. I'm bright, but he's talented. <laughs> That's not true either. He is talented, but I'm not really that bright. This is what the song says. Do you want to come and try to play? Thank you. You want to put these words up on the, on the, on the back for me? It says this, Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through, use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer to you my life. I want you to, so I want you to listen the first time, and I want to ask you to sing this with me this morning. This is about dedicating who we are to God. Does it matter? Maybe you're going through cancer also. Maybe you have something else that's bothering you. Maybe it's a relationship, a family problem, finances, dreams that are not realized yet. Maybe you don't even have a dream yet. But God is here and He wants to transform your life. But He just asks one thing Are you willing to give yourself to Him? What this song basically says is, Lord, I'm giving everything to you. I want to give it all. My heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to love you unconditionally. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live the way Jesus lived. I'm going to walk the way Jesus walked. I'm going to see people the way Jesus saw people. Because I recognize I'm here temporarily. 